When Johnny Ringo wrote on a tombstone for the very last time, he was drunk, and had been for quite a few days. The mysterious and oftentimes sullen gunfighter had helped celebrate America's 106th birthday by going on a bender. And judging by the liquor bottles stashed in his saddlebags, he wasn't planning on the festivities ending anytime soon. A few days later, Ringo shows up at a ranch about 20 miles to the north, and he's still drinking. Likewise, even later, when he runs into Cochise County Sheriff's Deputy Billy Breckenridge. According to Billy, it was barely past midday, and Johnny was so damn lit he was having trouble staying in the saddle. What happened next is a mystery, but the following day, Johnny Ringo's lifeless body was discovered by a teamster. His feet wrapped up in a torn shirt, his cartridge belt on upside down, and a noticeable piece of his scalp missing, seemingly cut away with a knife. The official coroner's report would rule Johnny Ringo's death a suicide. After all, he was found with a pistol in his hand and a single bullet hole to the head. But is that what really happened? Why would a veteran of so many battles choose to take his own life? And where was his horse? Why was he barefoot? And who the hell cut off a piece of his hair? While we're at it, who the hell was Johnny Ringo anyway? And could he really speak Latin? My name's Josh, and you're listening to the Wild West Extravaganza. John Peter Ringo was born on May 3rd, 1850 in Wayne County, Indiana. His parents, Martin and Mary, would move the family to northern Missouri a few years later, and then, when Johnny was just 14 years of age, they packed up and headed for California. It seems the elder Ringo was suffering from tuberculosis and figured the drier climate out west might help alleviate his symptoms. It was the year of our Lord, 1864, and the Ringos had joined up with a wagon train out of Liberty, Missouri. As exciting as I'm sure this was for a youngster like Johnny, the family soon learned just how hard life could be on the trail. In the course of just one day, Ringo witnessed a boy around his age fall from a wagon and get crushed to death under the heavy wheels. And then just a few hours later, the wagon master got into it with a teamster and ended the argument with a well-placed bullet to the head. Still, they pressed on. Indian sign was plentiful, and the train even had a few close encounters, but it was nothing compared to the tragedy of July 30th. As Johnny's father Martin was stepping down from a wagon, he accidentally shot himself in the head with a shotgun. An onlooker reported seeing Martin's brains scatter in all directions, as his hat went soaring 20 feet up in the air. The Ringos would bury their patriarch right there on the side of the trail, and somehow muster up the strength to keep on a-pushing west. Eventually, they arrived in San Jose, California, where Johnny would spend his formidable years. By 1870, a 20-year-old Ringo is listed on the federal census as a farmer, but would soon depart for Texas soon thereafter. It's there in the Lone Star State where Ringo would befriend a former Texas Ranger by the name of Scott Cooley and find himself balls deep in a little something known as the Hoodoo War, a.k.a. the Mason County War. While the extent of Ringo's participation is somewhat up for debate, he most certainly rode with Cooley, at least for a little bit, and Ringo helped gun down Mason County rival James Cheney. Johnny was arrested, stuck in jail in Lamb Passes, but soon escaped. Got arrested again, this time by Texas Rangers, and was looking at some pretty serious prison time for the killing of Cheney. Ended up filing an appeal, and it worked. There was a new trial, no witnesses were willing to testify against him, and Ringo went free. Of course, by this time, the fighting there in Mason County was pretty much done. 
I really hope to dedicate an entire episode to this feud one of these days. If for no other reason than to take a closer look at this Scott Cooley character. Dude was orphaned as a kid after his parents were killed by hostiles and raised by the Williamson family there in Mason County before joining the Texas Rangers. It was the murder of his adopted father, Tim Williamson, at the hands of the vigilantes, or hoodoos, that kicked off the Mason County War. And apparently Cooley was not a man to be trifled with. He also wasn't afraid of taking a scalping knife to his victims, but that's another story for another day. Interestingly enough, once Ringo was released from jail, he ended up running for and getting elected by a pretty wide margin as constable in the nearby town of Loyal Valley. Ah, but adventure was calling. By 1879, Johnny traded in his badge and headed west to Arizona, where he promptly shot a man in a saloon for refusing a complimentary drink. Now, the guy he shot, Lewis Hancock, would survive, but Ringo was quickly developing a reputation as a mean-tempered drunk. He also began associating with a little group known as the Cochise County Cowboys. Maybe you've heard of them. I don't want to make this episode a deep dive into the Cowboys and their beef with the Earps, or even just the general history of Tombstone. I'm saving all that for an upcoming series. But suffice to say that there was no love lost between Johnny Ringo and Wyatt Earp. Same goes for Earp's good friend, Doc Holliday. In contrast, Ringo made fast friends with fellow Earp enemy, Ike Clanton. The pair trafficked in stolen cattle together, allegedly, helped to rig an election, and even filed a joint claim on some land over in southwestern New Mexico. Now, Ringo was not present for the notorious shootout at the OK Corral, but a few months later, he damn near brought about its sequel. A drunk Johnny Ringo confronted Wyatt Earp and his brother Virgil there on the streets of Tombstone. Said he wanted their blood, and he wanted their souls, and he wanted them now. The Earps refused to take the bait, and that's when Doc Holliday steps in. Now, Doc and Ringo were already beefing. Back when Holiday was in jail on some trumped-up charge, his gal pal Big Nose Kate decided to leave Tombstone, and it was Johnny who financed her departure. Whether Ringo did this out of the kindness of his own heart or for services rendered, I do not know. But you gotta imagine this didn't sit too well with Doc. And sure enough, here Doc was ready to play. That's just my game, he tells Ringo. I'm your Huckleberry. To which Johnny replies, you're my what? Huckleberry. Uh, okay, and what exactly is a huckleberry? They're like blueberries, only bigger, and a little more tart. They're also the state fruit of Idaho. At this point, Ringo is getting visibly frustrated. Tells Holiday that he knows what a huckleberry is, and that they're delicious and all, but look, man, I'm out here talking about taking souls, and you're comparing yourself to a GD fruit. What gives, Lunger? Looking a little embarrassed, Doc admits that he wasn't entirely sure what his point was. Said it just sounded good in the moment and that he went with it. Why, Johnny Ringo, I declare I've never given it too much thought. I suppose I could have gone with a Georgia peach, but that would have been a little too up. Shut up! Just shut up! Either throw down or shut your mouth because honestly, dude, you are making absolutely no sense right now. To which Holiday replies, you're a daisy if you do. At this point, Ringo just completely loses it. His left eye starts twitching, his face flushed red with anger, and instead of asking Doc what the hell flowers had to do with anything, he just went for his gun. Luckily, his fellow cowboys were able to grab him from behind at the last second and drag him off. And further hostilities were avoided. Okay, so maybe I did kind of improvise that dialogue from Tombstone, just a little, but you get the gist of it. In reality, neither Huckleberries nor Daisies were discussed, but Ringo, Wyatt, and Doc Holliday did exchange words right there on the streets of Tombstone. And in real life, it was not Johnny's fellow cowboys who pulled him away. 
It was a Tombstone police chief by the name of James Flynn. Matter of fact, all three of them got hauled to court, with Doc and Ringo being fined $32 each. By the way, if you're a new listener and you're under the impression that Doc Holliday said Hucklebearer as opposed to Huckleberry in Tombstone, I got an episode on that that you might find interesting. Link in the show notes. In December of that same year, Virgil Earp would be ambushed and seriously wounded. And just three months later, in March 1882, Wyatt's younger brother Morgan was assassinated. Worth pointing out that before Wyatt killed Frank Stilwell, Frank allegedly confessed that there were several others involved in the murder of Morgan, including Curly Bill Brocious and Johnny Ringo. Not sure how true this is, but Earp and his avenging angels soon embarked upon their vendetta ride and began systematically gunning down the Cochise County Cowboys. I see a red sash and I kill the man wearing it. Well, in all actuality, the Cowboys did not wear red sashes, but Wyatt and his men did succeed in taking out Curly Bill and a few others. At this point, Sheriff Johnny Behan formed his own posse, comprised of several members of the Earp Payton Cowboys, including the now deputized Johnny Ringo. The big showdown never occurred, though, and in mid-April of 1882, Wyatt led his Avengers out of Arizona. Johnny Ringo was 32 years of age, and unbeknownst to him, he'd be following Curly Bill to the grave in less than three months. And yeah, we pretty much covered the circumstances surrounding his death at the beginning of this episode. Ringo gets a big drunk on during the 4th of July festivities, continues drinking pretty much nonstop, and on July 14, 1882, Johnny was found dead against a tree in West Turkey Creek Valley, about 60 or so miles to the east of Tombstone, with a single bullet hole to the head. And the big question is, who killed Ringo? Well, according to the official coroner's report, his death was ruled a suicide. We'll touch on that in a moment, but I think it's safe to say that not everybody buys that theory. Some think that Doc Holliday was to blame, as portrayed in the movie Tombstone. The problem with this explanation is that Doc was hundreds of miles away in Colorado. He had once again gotten himself into trouble, as he tended to do. And at the same time that Ringo was laying dead in the desert, Holiday was pleading not guilty to larceny and posting bail in the town of Pueblo. Then there's the Wyatt Earp theory, which is even more popular on account of Wyatt himself claiming that he was the one who killed Ringo. He later denied it, but once more, years later, claimed it again. This is almost certainly not true, though, on account of Wyatt also being in Colorado at the time of Johnny's death. Gunnison, to be exact. And in the case of him and Doc Holliday, there are period newspaper articles and even court records proving that they were indeed up there in Colorado. Then there's a guy by the name of Michael O'Rourke, a.k.a. Johnny Behind the Deuce. Not to be confused with Jimmy Can't Take a Deuce, because he ate too much queso and unripened bananas. Now, Michael O'Rourke was arrested in Tucson, Arizona in January of 1881 on suspicion of murdering a mining engineer named Harry Schneider. Story goes that Wyatt Earp had helped to protect him from a lynch mob that had been organized and led by Johnny Ringo. O'Rourke escaped jail in April of 81 and was last seen not too far from the Dragoon Mountains. Well-mounted, well-equipped, and headed straight the hell out of the territory. As far as I know, Michael O'Rourke's fate is a mystery. According to some, he was killed by the outlaw Pony Deal in the year 1882, and the Pony killed him on account of O'Rourke killing his pal Ringo. If I'm not mistaken, the only evidence or source of this information comes from former Tombstone resident Fred Dodge, who shared it with author Stuart Lake. We say we want to be challenged, we say we want to hear all sides, but that's not how we act 
when we seek out podcasts. I'm Mike Pesca, host of The Gist, and I'm crazy enough to think that we are up to the challenge. I challenge myself. I challenge my guests. I invite you in. We'll talk about such issues as masks. I mean, I know they work, but on a population level, the evidence is less than clear. Mass shootings, horrible, but they account for less than 1% of all shootings. Do we do ourselves and our society a disservice when we focus on them? These questions and more explored and challenged every day on The Gist, wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, the one that I think most people believe, at least from what I've noticed, is Buckskin Frank Leslie. Guy famous for killing somebody in Tombstone and then just a few days later, marrying his widow. Supposedly, Frank had been a scout for the army, hence his buckskin attire, but it looks like there's not really a lot of proof of that. Matter of fact, not a whole lot of evidence for many of Frank's claims like his stories about serving as a deputy in Abilene under Wild Bill Hickok, or selling the ocean blue and working as a cowboy in Australia. We know that in the late 1870s, Leslie was working as a bartender in San Francisco before heading to Tombstone where he went partners in the Cosmopolitan Saloon. Now Frank's lies notwithstanding, he apparently knew how to handle himself. In addition to the killing that I just mentioned, Frank also did for Billy Claiborne, survivor of the gunfight at the OK Corral. I guess Billy came into the bar one night and started getting verbally abusive. Leslie told him to leave. A few minutes later, there's a confrontation outside, and Frank shoots Claiborne dead. He also got into a running gunfight with the Apache in March 1883, came out on top, and he did serve as a scout for the Army against Geronimo in the summer of 1885. Kind of. A newspaper out of San Francisco, where he used to live, ran an article in 1886 stating that for many years, Leslie was a chief of scouts, held in confidence by General Crook, and that he personally knew Geronimo. A rebuttal was soon published in Los Angeles, however, stating that in truth, Leslie was only a scout for a few weeks before getting fired for his inability to, quote, tell a trail from a box of flea powder, end quote. The article does specify that while Frank was, quote, no scout, he is no dude. He has killed two men under circumstances of Arizona propriety. Is a fine shot and could ride farther and harder in a day than any other white man you can rake up with a fine-toothed comb. As to him enjoying General Crook's confidence, I guess it isn't necessary to say anything, but you ought to have heard the quiet old general laugh when I showed him that dispatch. End quote. Frank would get divorced in June of 1887 and shack up with a new gal named Molly Edwards. The relationship was cut short in the summer of 89, though, when Frank caught Molly with another man and shot her dead. He pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. And it's while behind bars that Frank began telling folks that he was the one who killed Johnny Ringo. Also, Billy Claiborne's last words, allegedly, back this up. Legend states that as Billy lay dying, he told a friend, Frank Leslie shot Johnny Ringo and I saw him do it. Okay, so... Who the hell is telling the truth here? And why is there so much mystery surrounding the death of Johnny Ringo? Well, let's back up and take a slightly closer look. There's a few more details that don't always get mentioned. For instance, when Ringo was in Tombstone partying, celebrating the 4th, he ominously told a newspaper man that he was, quote, certain of being killed as he was of living. Said he might run along for a couple more years or he may not last two days. Okay, that's a little strange, but hey, we all say stuff when we're drinking, right? Sometimes in vino is veritas, and sometimes it's just talk for the sake of talking. A few days later, Johnny leaves town, several bottles of whiskey in tow, 
and is next seen on the Dial Ranch about 20 or so miles to the north, and he's still drinking heavily. A couple of days later, on July 13th, is when Deputy Billy Breckenridge runs into Ringo, and surprise, surprise, he's still drinking. According to the deputy, quote, Ringo was very drunk, reeling in the saddle and said he was going to Galleyville, Galeyville, however the hell you pronounce it. It was in the summer and a very hot day. He offered me a drink of the half-filled bottle of whiskey, and he had another full bottle. I tasted it, and it was too hot to drink. It burned my lips. Knowing that he would have to ride near all night before he got to Galeyville, I tried to get him to go back with me to the Goodrich Ranch and wait until after sundown. But he was too drunk and stubborn and went on his way. I think that was the last time that he was seen alive. That evening, around 3 p.m., a nearby rancher hears a single gunshot, and the next day is when the teamster found Ringo's body. By the way, that single gunshot is in contradiction to Wyatt Earp's claim that he had an actual gunfight with Ringo, that several shots were exchanged. Another by the way, when Johnny's body was found, his horse was not with him. It was found miles away, still saddled, with Ringo's boots hanging off of it. From what I understand, that was a common practice in those days when making camp, just to keep scorpions and other creepy crawlers out of your boots. Now, as I touched on at the beginning of this episode, Johnny's feet were both wrapped up in a torn shirt. And oddly enough, his cartridge belt was on upside down. If that's not weird enough for you, Ringo was also missing a small portion of his hair and scalp, with marks indicating that his head had been cut on with a knife. None of this really contradicts the official findings of that coroner's jury, though. At least not to me. And matter of fact, I tend to agree with them. If you don't mind, I'll share with you what I think happened. Now, we know for a fact that Ringo was on a several-day bender. I think he was drunk off his ass, having a hard time staying in the saddle, and he stopped to sleep it off. Probably was planning on taking Breckenridge's advice and resuming his journey after the sun went down. He wakes up a couple hours later, still drunk, likely a little disoriented. I'm sure craving a cold drink of water something fierce and trying to remember the last time he had any good food in his belly. And then he notices that his horse had wandered off. A frustrated Ringo gets up in a rush, puts his belt on upside down, and sets out to find his pony. He likely only makes it a few steps before Arizona's rough terrain reminds him that he wasn't wearing no boots. So he pulls off that undershirt, tears it in two, and wraps his feet up. He makes a half-assed attempt at locating his mount. It's nowhere to be found, so he just sits down at the base of that tree and tragically decides that enough is enough. By all accounts, Johnny Ringo was a troubled young man. Despite wearing a badge on a couple of occasions, he was constantly finding himself in and out of trouble. Also witnessed his fair share of death, including seeing his own father's brains blown out the back of his head. And all that liquor he'd been using to keep these demons at bay wasn't working so well no more. You know, that's what nobody tells you. After a while, you're not even drinking to feel good. You're just drinking to maintain. And when you're fighting devils in your head, and maintaining ain't always enough. My opinion is that Ringo was tired of fighting. He almost certainly wasn't in his right mind. And in an act of desperation, he pulled his pistol, placed it against his forehead, and squeezed the trigger. While I doubt anyone will ever know exactly what transpired, I do think suicide is the most logical explanation. It's also important to note that a few people who knew Ringo stated that they had seen it coming and that he had supposedly threatened to off himself in the past. He was described as polite and introspective, but also morose, sullen. And when he drank, he became violent. That's another thing that cannot be discounted, his drinking. 
While alcohol abuse isn't always a cry for help, it does usually point to some form of self-medication. Ringo wasn't just drinking to relax or to help fall asleep. He had a sickness inside of him, the kind that'll eat your soul up if you're not careful. And I think that's unfortunate. You know, life can be hard and we face shit sometimes that seems impossible to overcome. And it's in such dark moments that people sadly sometimes choose to no longer play ball. They opt out. And I'm thinking that's what happened with Johnny Ringo. If you ever find yourself in the same spot, stop. Don't do anything you can't undo. If you're struggling, seek help. There are people you can reach out to. The Suicide Prevention Hotline is always open. All you got to do is dial 988. That's it. Three digits. 988. They got veterans. They got people that speak Spanish. They have people that will listen. So before you pick up your gun, pick up your phone. Give someone a call. And remember, man, nothing lasts forever. Nothing. All right. As far as the missing piece of Ringo's hair is concerned, it is strange, but it's also certainly not out of the realm of possibility that the teamster who found his body decided to take a trophy. Now, please fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure there was a lock of hair taken from Wild Bill after his death. And I'm also, for some reason, thinking that the same thing happened to Jesse James, but I could be wrong. So all that said, what do you think happened to Johnny Ringo? Did he take himself out? Was it Doc Holliday? Was it Buckskin Frank Leslie? Or maybe even Wyatt Earp? If you're listening on YouTube, drop your theory in the comments. Let me know. Likewise, if you're listening on Spotify. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is an option on Spotify for me to do Q&A type stuff. And honestly, I just keep forgetting about it. Not so with this episode. I'm going to make it a special point. So if you've got the app... Hop on over to Spotify and drop me a note. And if you're listening elsewhere, please don't hesitate to email me directly at josh at wildwestextra.com. Now, Johnny Ringo was buried near the base of that tree where his body was found. You can visit his grave, but it is on private property, so make sure you get permission first. I'd hate to see you get buried there, too. Now, earlier I posed the question as to whether or not Johnny Ringo could speak Latin. I mean, that is arguably one of the coolest scenes from Tombstone, right? Turns out it's probably not true, though. Not sure where this legend began, but in all actuality, Ringo did drop out of school at the age of 14 when his family left Missouri. He never attended college, and there is no indication that he spoke a lick of Latin. Furthermore, and this is likely going to anger a couple of people, but Johnny Ringo's reputation as a deadly gunman has been blown way out of proportion. And this goes all the way back to the time of his death. The Grant County Herald, out of Minnesota of all places, reported the following just a few days after Ringo's death. During the past few years, 32 men dared to doubt his honor. They now fill 32 graves. Although he, Ringo, had many competitors in his line, he had no true rivals. And Curly Bill and Billy the Kid could not bear comparison with him. Okay, but... The truth is, Johnny Ringo only killed one person that we're aware of. Well, two, actually. That old boy James Cheney back in the Mason County War and, seven years later, himself. His only other known shooting was when he shot that guy in the saloon for refusing that drink. And, of course, this is not to say that Ringo definitely never shot anybody else. This is just all we're aware of. No telling what the hell he got up to with them cowboys. And since we're on a roll debunking shit, it's worth noting that his real name was Ringo. 
okay? Sometimes you'll see him referred to as Johnny Ringgold, and his name was reported as such in newspapers, even when he was still alive, but that was a mistake on their part. Official records do prove that his last name was indeed Ringo. So yeah, very cool name, just maybe not quite as deadly as he's been portrayed over the years. Not to say he couldn't have been. Lots of stories about how good Johnny was with a gun, and I don't doubt he had the nerve. Look, what I'm trying to say is Johnny Ringo was a pussy, okay? And if you don't like it, then you can go to hell. No, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> On either account. No, uh, you know, this is a very common thing when we're talking about Old West figures. So many of these people had reputations that weren't necessarily true. And there's other people, some of whom we've never even heard of, whose body counts would put these guys to shame. Alright, and I guess that's about all I've got this week on Johnny Ringo. Special shout out if you've also heard the original episode I did on Ringo years ago. Spoiler alert, it was not very good. Hopefully I've somewhat redeemed myself. Do me a favor, if you like what you just heard, if you feel like it's brought some sort of a value to your life, whether it be education or entertainment or whatever, feel free to head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash wild west. And, well, buy me a coffee, or two, or 20. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for more true tales from the Old West, well, you don't need to look too far. Got a lot more stories over at wildwestextra.com just waiting to invade your hairy little ear holes. And, of course, the Wild West extravaganza is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, till next time, try not to speak Latin, okay? You sound silly. And if you're going to go get drunk and take a nap, make sure you hobble your horse first. And please, just be nice, even to yourself. Adios. Hey, we'll get back to the story in just a moment. But first, I got to be honest with you. I'm doing this full time now. The Wild West extravaganza is, as we speak, my job. And to tell you the truth, this is sort of a gamble. I'm gambling on myself and I'm gambling on you. To make this work and to continue bringing you true tales from the wild and woolly west in an unfiltered and uncensored fashion, I'm going to need your support. And at this moment, the absolute best way you can support the Wild West extravaganza is by becoming a member of Into History. Into History is a podcast subscription channel made by history lovers for history lovers. Not only will you get to listen to the Wild West extravaganza ad-free, but you'll gain early access before anyone else. You also get bonus content. There is currently Wild West extravaganza content on Into History that you cannot hear anywhere else, not even on Patreon. And there's a lot more to come. You'll also get to participate in the book club, the community forum, the upcoming live streaming events, and best of all, you won't have to hear my annoying ass voice break into the middle of a story like I'm doing right now. And guess what? You also get everything I just mentioned from all the other shows in the Into History universe, offering the same perks. Come on, what are you waiting for? Go to IntoHistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra. That's IntoHistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra to become a member today. I love you, and thank you very much for assisting me in helping to keep the Old West alive. Back to the show.
just shut up.